So any of you who are regular listeners know I like to leave my show as raw as possible. But sometimes technology gets the best of me and I have to go in and do some serious editing. So on this episode, you will will hear a glitch or two. I apologize right off the top, but I still think it is a worthy episode that you should listen to. And I most certainly hope that you enjoy it. Hello, all, and welcome to the Blue Diamond. This is Adre with something to say. And as usual, I have a lot to say today. And I also have some guests who are going to help me. So today we are going to be discussing the underrepresented community, the the POC community, and whether or not we should focus on fixing what's broken, focus on expanding what's working, or is it necessary to do some sort of combination of the both? So today I have with me my dear friend and now regular uh, guest on the Blue Diamond. Uh, uh, This young lady and I met when we were in the eighth grade and we were cheerleaders on opposing teams and we were the only black spots there. So we kind of felt connected, although we were on opposing teams. And then the next year entered high school and instantly became best friends. And here we are, maybe 35, something like that years later, and she's still my best friend. (laughs) (laughs) And that is Mrs. Greta Lewis Hardy. Welcome, Greta. Thank you. It's always an honor to be here. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Greta. Oh, sorry. I'm Greta. (laughs) My name is Greta Lewis Hardy. I'm a nurse practitioner um, for hospital medicine. I apologize. I'm on the show so much. I feel like everyone knows me. Deeply (laughs) apologize. Um, I love, love, love learning more and more with each episode. And, and we appreciate your perspective each time you're with us. And also, I have another dear friend of mine. Uh, she was um, a dean of admission when I was uh, the program and events coordinator at Wesleyan University. I joined the team. She was already there. And we instantly uh, became friends. Obviously, we were colleagues, but we became way more than um, than colleagues. We definitely became friends who could confide and trust, um, you know, each other. And although we have both since left uh, Wesleyan, we have stayed connected over the years. And I'm so so very proud to have her on the show today. And that is Miss Cora Shin. Welcome, Cora. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, AJ. It's really uh, an honor to be here. And uh, um, hello, Cora. And uh, I'm an educator currently based out of of Oakland, California, although uh, my roots are certainly in Connecticut. 
And uh, um, after leaving college admissions, I'm now currently working uh, in college counseling uh, at a private K-12 school here in Oakland. So it's really lovely to be here, and I'm very excited to to with both of you, Greta and Adre. And actually, I should share this because if I'm if I'm speaking my truth, uh, which I which I hope I'm I'm able to do here today, I should actually share because this is very new to you. AJ, that uh, that uh, good pronouns for me are are actually they them theirs, and I don't use she pronouns anymore. Uh, but I also recognize this is a is a big shift, a big switch for folks who've known me a long time. So uh, no worries if if that uh, is is tough to change today. Okay, well, first of all, thank you for telling me that. And um, just like Greta said uh, a few moments ago, we're always learning something new on the podcast. And that is definitely something new for me. I do notice uh, nowadays in a lot of email signatures, people will have pronoun, the pronouns that they want used to represent them. And so just uh, for clarification, tell me your pronouns once again. Sure. Yeah. They, they, them, and their, and theirs. So, in, so um, the way that one would use the pronouns is as if they were talking about me in the plural, even though I'm just one person. So it doesn't actually change. So use of those pronouns for one person doesn't change the grammatical way you use the pronouns but it just sounds a little different than what we're all used to because you're referencing one person when even though you're using the plural so instead of saying she was a dean um of admission i would say they were a dean of admission beautiful absolutely that's hey, exactly all right because <laughs> i am girl because i'm a not i'm not about to say they was <laughs> That's how I had to make sure because I was not about to do they was. <laughs> but she did, um, no. Cora did say we are not changing the grammatical way unless in um how we usually use the words. Exactly. So thank you for that. I really appreciate it. So anyway, um guess let's jump right into uh the topic today. We're talking about focusing on fixing what's broken or focusing on expanding what's working or some combination. So I was, I thought about this as a topic because years ago when I was still working at Wesleyan, we actually had a talk about something similar. I don't remember what the function was and why we had, um, these people talking to us um, in particular, but I remember them talking about a group of uh, black men in core. Do you, do you remember that discussion? I do remember. And I'm cheesing really hard over here because when you told me that this was the topic for today, that that was the very first thing that I thought of was that it was the community, uh, the community based organizations. Um, oh, yes. The CBO conference. It was one of the events that, that I hosted. Yes. That you 
that you made happen. And there was a speaker, Dr. Sean Harper, who at the time was yes. based out of the Graduate School of Education at the University of Pennsylvania, who came and spoke as the keynote speaker. You have such a good memory, and I'm ashamed that I didn't remember and I hosted the event. It's okay, Grandma. <laughs> it was a long time ago. <laughs> it was, it was. Uh, but yes, that conversation has stood out in my mind for so many years through different organizations that I've worked with, uh, especially with working with Boys and Girls Club and seeing uh, these children who are living in really impoverished situations in some cases um, with parents, one parent or two parents, an incarcerated parent, a deceased parent, uh, a parent who is either uneducated or undereducated. And there are all types of programs out there where they focus on what is wrong and therefore come up with a solution on how to fix it. Well, I shouldn't say a solution. They develop programs based on what is wrong rather than developing programming based on what works. And one of the things that we learned in that discussion so many years ago is that there is definitely a difference. But at the same time, I could see some pushback with trying to change the focus from people who were like, well, how do you expand what's working if something is, is broken? And, and it, is, it is possible, though. Well, I'm a firm believer the way overall structure should work is you really need to know where you have come from in order to build a stronger foundation for the future. Um, and being in medicine, I see what I call reaction instead of proactive behavior. So I love to say this is a reactive environment and not a proactive environment. You wait until you see, for example, in our community, you wait until you see the crime numbers go up. You wait until you see younger children being incarcerated before you say, well, what worked for other communities? And let's try to fix it before we're trying to backtrack and fix what's broken. And then the people who you have trying to fix it need to be a part of the actual problem. You can't fix what you don't understand. Yeah, and, and I, I agree with that. When, when you say proactive and reactive, I definitely think that when you're trying to fix what's broken, it's always reactive. Yeah. Um, I think that goes without mm -hmm. saying. And when you try to focus on expanding what's working, you're definitely being, um, you know, proactive, even, even in, in um, the health, um, the healthcare field, you know, you can um, either, stop smoking or never start smoking. There's, there's a difference there. You know, you know that not smoking is better for your health. And so that's a way of expanding what's working. And I'm trying to give, you know, an analogy here, but I also, when, when I think about uh, the education field, let's say, 
I noticed that with Boys and Girls Club, there was a combination of things. So there were definitely some programs that were built around trying to fix things. And then there were some programs that were built around trying to grow things. Um, one of the things that I saw, one of the programs that was a combination of that was a program called Money Matters. In the Money Matters program, it was developed around a combination of, of both things, recognizing that there's a huge economic gap between the population that we were serving and other populations. And a lot of our uh, parents, like I said, were single parent homes who were, who were undereducated and didn't even really have a grasp on how to understand and, and, and work finances. This right. Money Matters program started to teach children at a very young age how to handle finances, uh, what things can be done so that there can be economic growth and this generational cycle of poverty can be halted. It has to be halted at some point in order for there to be growth. Correct. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But that, that's what I, I when with this topic came up, one of the things I often thought about was the many areas that you, um, Adre, have worked in. So you've never been impoverished. You've never been poor, but you have been in environments where you've heard the stories, where you've been a part of it. So for example, if you're at the table and someone who's never ever even known a poor person and they're trying to help legitimately stop the cycle, they have great ideas for going forward, but how do you reach those people who are actually suffering now and can't see a forward. And that's something that um, when we try to fix things, we, we really do need the people who understand both sides, in my opinion, in order to make them work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I really, I absolutely agree with that statement, Greta. I really do. Uh, I and I, I really appreciated what you brought up in terms of reactive versus proactive within the healthcare system. I definitely see that in education, where oftentimes there is a, a reactive uh, approach. Uh, I, as I was sitting here listening to what both of you were sharing, I was trying to think about okay, why do we feel like um, oftentimes there is a reactive approach, even though, you know, don't get me wrong. I know there's a lot of proactive work that's also happening, but, it, and I'm thinking about like, um, I think sometimes in this country, there is a, well, I, I think it's, um, like, what does it take to move the dial and, you have to show research and data around what's going on in order to get um, in order to raise more money, get fund yeah. and, and fundraise. You need to get other constituents and other folks on board, those who have power to buy into what is, quote unquote, uh, a, a 
um, or what is broken. And then, and in order to do that, you show them the data and, and then there is this reactive approach to how do we fix this problem? And it's almost like folks need to see that problem. They need to see the, the, what's wrong in order to, to, tr to try and change it instead of going ahead and thinking more forward of how, how can we expand on, on what's working. And, I, and just to, to draw back on what you shared about uh, at the very beginning with which Harper was doing, I think what was so revolutionary for me in that at the time, early, I think it was either, it was soon after I had started working at Wesleyan. So it was like 20, maybe it was like 2011, 2012. Um, it was about a decade ago. And I, and I think he was doing research on why black, he, 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 he decided instead of taking the, the data, which was like less than, I want to say, um, at the time, about 5% of black men uh, were undergraduates across the United States in colleges. And instead of trying to fix that issue, he decided to focus on what those 5% were doing, what, what, were, what were the, the common qualities um, and situations that those men had um, been able to, to, to do and create so that they could be those who were headed towards graduating from college successfully. And I think that sort of research was just so mind-blowing for me too, Adre, because um, he had decided to focus on, on what was successful. And I think we need more of that sort of research and data to drive more proactive movement and, and decisions. Um, yeah. You know... Um, it's funny that you bring that up because I was, you know, I was, like you said, I was thinking about that situation, thinking about that conversation. And I couldn't remember all the details of it, but I do remember that it was young black men in college. And you're right. Focusing on how did they manage to be successful? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, where everybody else is focusing on why is the number only 5% and how do we increase that number? Well, Let's focus on the success of these guys. And, and there are a couple of programs, you know, through my research that I've um, found out about. So, um, yes, Corey, you were talking about, um, you know, Sean Harper and rather than focusing on why the number is, you know, 5% focusing on what those 5% were doing. And I, I know that there are a couple of programs out there who seem to have made that switch and are, are trying to um, focus on um, looking at people who are successful. And there's this one program, um, CUNY. CUNY is City University of New York, for anybody who um, doesn't know. They have the CUNY Black Male Initiative which is university wide and it has more than 30 projects that focus on um, retention, increasing matriculation and the graduation um, rates, um, particularly of, you know, in men of color. Um, they, they seem to have switched that focus on, okay, these people who have come here and have been successful, how have they gone about being successful? Because 
it, it's not like all of these people who these males who are coming in and are successful and are able to uh, stay in college and graduate from college are coming from these uh, how do I say it are coming from backgrounds where there has been a lot of success. A lot of these guys mm -hmm. are coming from backgrounds where they are first generation. And, you know, and it's funny, on last week's episode, we talked about first generation um, college students and some of the things that they have to tackle. And I learned quite a bit being at Wesleyan and talking to students there because I happen to not be first generation college. My great grandmother went to college and it was a life that I didn't know anything about. But yet here we had a whole bunch of students who were making it work. And that's the kind of thing when Greta, you say, go in there and talk to people, the people who are going through the issues and find out what those issues are because how are you supposed to uh, fix broken if you don't even get the input um, from the people who are the ones struggling well the right. same should go the other way talking to those people who have been success successful no matter what their circumstances were and how they've gone about being successful it's like you know we we um like to take go up to the person who hits that centennial birthday and say how did you do it you know how have you managed mm -hmm. to live 100 years <laughs> and it's usually something outrageous you know i have a, a sip of scotch every day and smoke a cigar <laughs> once a week you know <laughs> something crazy they always say you know but there uh, there's some reason why these people have been able to be successful some of it is going to be a personal trait of theirs and some of it is going to be partnership some of it is going to be mentorship uh, but I even think in mentoring I did a lot of mentoring at Wesleyan but I did a, a much more mentoring at Boys and Girls Club what I did with each student that I mentored I focused on what they liked and what their talents were. And those are the kind of things that we sat down and talked about in our weekly meeting. Obviously, there were some times we had to discuss problems and things like that, but I'm not a therapist. Instead, we had a lot of discussion about, okay, you really like math. So let's talk about something that has to do with math and, and how math can create a path for you. Uh, it's kind of like I used to go to um, Maryland every year. My cousin is a teacher and she would always have me come down for career day. And she told me uh, my first year that I went, that I was the only person she had ever come, um, have come for career day that didn't say to kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? Adults mm. don't know what they want. How are you supposed to know? <laughs> I'm going to be 50 and I, in a couple months, I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. Okay. Mm -hmm. but what I would do is I would say, 
what do you guys like to do? What are you interested in? Okay, you're interested in dolls. How can you make that a career? Because it is career day. How can mm-hmm. you make a career? And then I would tell them the story about the woman who created the Bratz dolls and, and mm-hmm. that and and um that's what I focused on. So it, you know, I mean, and I know that's exactly the same thing in focus, you know. Andrea, is it okay if I go back to something that you said a second ago? Absolutely. Oh, when we when we were missing your lovely presence, Cora and I were speaking, and I said, you know, I think about my my parents who both came from not wealthy backgrounds at all, but they wanted better for their children. So my father started to talk to other people in the black community who were very successful. So at 16, when people were having birthday parties and doing fun things, I'm working at McDonald's and getting stock options as presents. Because Mm -hmm. that's what he said. He would talk to other people and their children did not get presents. They got tools on creating generational Mm -hmm. wealth. Mm. And at the time, I thought he was insane. But here I am 50 now. And I was like, yeah, my dad was a genius. (laughs) Mm. I like the way you said that. They got tools on how to create generational wealth. And, and that important. is how we grow. I mean, it. everyone has a different background, but we all started somewhere. So like you said, if you speak to people who, one, want to share, want you to be successful, and you're willing to use that one mouth to speak only when you have something to say and use those two ears to listen, it's amazing what people will share with you. Well, you know, um, when I was at Wesleyan University, one of the programs that I hosted was Sons and Daughters. My first year hosting Sons and Daughters, I thought to myself, this is an extremely valuable tool that every student who is interested in going to college, no matter how slight the interest is, should have access to. They should all have access to these tools. So I developed a program and um, I've called it the resources for the route to college. I wrote this whole proposal and I presented it to the head um, of my department in admission, as well as Upward Bound, um, the diversity office and some other office. And Upward Bound thought it was a great idea. And they're like, well, you can use our kids, you know? And and, um, the diversity office thought it was a great idea because I wanted to target kids in um in Middletown and Mm. uh, but it it fell on its face because it was considered um by university relations to be competition um which was crazy to me but anyway so it fell on its ears but then I found myself many years later um in a position to be able to create such a program now that I am one of the um, committee members for the, for the education committee for our local chapter of the NAACP, we are in the midst of developing that program with some um, differences because we recognize that in this population, there are people, there are students who need 
resources on what to do after they graduate from high school if they choose not to go to college. So it, there's a separate, there's a, an additional component. We have decided to call it the toolbox. Mm. So we decided to call the program the toolbox because that's exactly what we're going to be. Um, I'm sorry, I said toolbox, it's toolkit, toolkit. Um, because that's exactly what we're going to be doing, trying to provide kids with a toolkit on how to be successful. And this program is born out of a success that I witnessed through this, through the Sons and Daughters program, rather than, um, I, I, I didn't look at any data and say, okay, we have this many students who want to go to college and they don't have any resources. They don't even know what the first step is. So they're first generation. Their parents don't know how to direct them or whatever. I didn't, I didn't go through any of that. I looked at a program that I knew was successful and said, okay, I want to present this, this program to these youth. And I happen to be a, a committee member for an organization that can make that happen. For the youth in my community, and so I'm I'm looking forward to um, hosting that program, and it, it'll be a com it'll be a hybrid program. Some things will be done in person, and some things will be done via Zoom. So don't think I won't be calling you from um, Oakland, Cora. <laughs> I got you, AJ. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait. And you were a participant in um, Sons and Daughters and, and helped it to be such a successful program. Um, and we've both had so much communication with um, directors and staff members of CBOs. CBOs, for people who don't know, are community-based organizations uh, that, like an Upward Bound, that will help students um, you know, through high school and get them to matriculate into college. And there's a handful of programs that will follow students through college. Because I think that's mm -hmm. something else that is needed for success is that to follow these students through college. And, and we do have the TRIO program, um, which will do that, uh, like a um, uh, Ronald E. McNair program. Which is, which is a trio program, and then we then then there are there are fellowships also. And I wonder what Sean Harper, you know, in in his research, I wonder where he is now, what he's doing, and and uh, what has happened with some of these students beyond getting a bachelor's. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, that's a great question. I, I know he's at the university of Southern California now, so he's institution, but um, I certainly do think it's worth checking in and, and seeing uh, for my own professional development. Uh, I'm glad you've sparked this uh, John Harper back into my mind sphere. I, I, so I can look into him again and check in. Yeah. I'm going to, you know, I want to do the same thing. I look at um, the the youth of my community, and there's a there's a great need uh, for some assistance. You know, to, to, I mean, they're making a big shift in the public school system here in Middletown, Connecticut. Uh, 
Um, and I do think that the shift that they're making is going to prepare these students for the future. You know, we are still doing the schoolhouse thing when it comes to learning. I mean, think about that, you guys. Think about, Cora might be too young for this, but Little House on a Prairie. Are you familiar with that, Cora? Mm-hmm. TV show? Okay, so, mm-hmm. little, that's right, because they still have reruns. Mm-hmm. Little House on the Prairie. Think about, that was like frontier times, and they were in a schoolhouse. The only thing we've done now to change that is instead of everybody being in one big room, there's a bunch of different rooms. But the learning style is still the same. Mm-hmm. And Middletown is moving away from that. Um, COVID pushed so many people into a technology-based learning style. And it is a learning style that is not going to go away um, for some people. One of the things that that they've done in Middletown, which works in college, so why not prepare a high school student for the way things are going to work in college? In college, you don't have your calculus class every day, at, you know, at nine a.m. You mm-hmm. have it on. You may have it on Monday, Wednesday, Friday for an hour and a half, or you might have it on Tuesday, Thursday night for for two hours. So that is the way that they have set up things in Middletown. So mm-hmm. now you don't, your day isn't exactly the same every day. If it was a day A, you know, you're going to have Spanish history and biology and you're going to be in each one of those classes. They only have four classes a day. And each class is about an hour and a half rather mm-hmm. than have eight classes a day. And I think when I, when I walked into the school system, I'm a substitute teacher there and saw how they were, how they were doing things. And I was like, this is something that I think works and is, um, how, how should I say it? It's, it's definitely born out of watching what they do in college and see that as, that is a successful way to educate people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's also well, a good way for a for a child nowadays who has zero attention span to keep the to train their minds how instant gratification or in, in, instant access is not how it is in the real world. Mm. Right, because I don't see that changing. <laughs> You're not going to. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, I guess it's a combination. There are some things that you can get instantly. Uh, you know, uh, you don't really know need to know how to read an analog clock. I mean, if, <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you were to give a 13-year-old an analog clock with Roman numerals on it, they don't, they wouldn't know what to do with that. Or something with a dollar five. It's a whole another discussion. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think in the end. Because believe it or not, we have to wrap up. It's it's one o'clock. Um, um, in the end, I think it has to be a combination. There's going to be some proactive um, programming, some reactive programming. You have got to get the word of the people who are on the ground, who are living the living the everyday, um, because they can definitely tell you what doesn't work. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. 
they can't really tell you what works because if they could tell you what works, I think they would be doing it and they would be more successful. But they can definitely tell you. I mean, I think about the parents that I had when I, I directed three different boys and girls clubs in Tampa. Those parents could tell me what doesn't work. You know, mm-hmm. uh, some of them knew about quick temporary fixes. But you also have to talk to that person who has um, come out, those people, I should say, who have come out of various backgrounds and have been successful and listen to them tell you what's what works and, and put those things together. That would be that's that's my opinion. Um, I'm not saying I have all of this data um, to back it up, but programs like the CUNY um Black Male Initiative Program. Also, um, J.P. Morgan um, has a program, um, and I, I wish I could remember the name of it. But if if you look up um, Black Initiatives for J.P. Morgan Chase, if you just Google it, they have a great program also that focuses on. Um, it's called Black Pathways. Mm. It's called Black Pathways, Advancing Black Pathways. It's in that, is that keyword, Advancing Black Pathways. So these are pathways that they see are already there and they just want to help people advance through them, you know. Mm. Um, but there are some programs out there that are looking at um, what, what works. Um, so ladies, because it is one o'clock and we do have to wrap it up, um, I want to give each one of you an opportunity to share um, a final thought with us before we, we sign off with this episode of the Blue Diamond. And I'm going to start um, with you, Akola. Just to piggyback off of where you were headed um, with with that final statement, Adre, that I'm I'm 100% in agreement. I do. I, I too am of the mind that it's a both and you've got to you've got to be able because at the end of the day, inequities exist now. And uh, and so I think like how CBOs will um, not only are the CBOs that we're talking about helping students um, uh, get into college and and providing access for them, but they are also some CBOs are doing things like um, giving the students food uh, to eat at when when they're at the CBO. It's after school or on the weekends, and so I've actually even heard of a CBO that gives food to for the students to take back home to their families. And so I think you need to have the let's help the level the playing field now and also develop that to develop the resources and um, going going back to that old adage of you know teaching a man to fish and and then you feed him for a lifetime right um, I think you need to really do have the both and there in order for to have an effect uh, right now. Um, so yeah, I, I, this has been lovely, uh, conversation, um, right up my alley, really interesting stuff that's been come, that's come out. And, uh, and I've appreciated hearing both of, of what you have each had to share. So thank you. Well, thank you, um, for agreeing to be on my podcast, Cora. I really appreciate it. And, um, before I uh, go on to Greta, I do want to say this, 
one of the things that we found out um, in our communities that Boys and, that Boys and Girls Club was serving was that a, a lot of these kids, they were getting their free breakfast and free lunch at school. They were then coming to, into my club and I was giving them a snack directly after getting out of school. And then we found that a lot of them, that snack they were getting was their last meal. So we mm-hmm. were giving out dinner. So I served dinner um, at five mm-hmm. o'clock every day. And then during the summer, as long as you were between the ages of five and nine, five and 18 or 19 years old with a disability, you could walk into my club. You did not have to be a member. You could walk into my club at mealtime and be fed. Mm. Um, you could not leave with the food, though. You had to um, stay there and eat. And, and um, I had a table set up in, in the kitchen. And that was where we would allow um, people to come in and have their kids fed. You know, um, I had one boy who lived across the street. The parent couldn't, um, the grandparent he lived with couldn't afford the membership. Uh, but so he couldn't be there all day. But I made sure he was fed every day. You mm. know? So, mm-hmm. um, uh, Greta, I would love to hear your um, final thoughts. Sometimes you should let things be. I think what you said, what Cora said, sums up anything I could say more eloquently. So, thank you both. <laughs> well, thank you. From education is just when not being from education. Um, and being in medicine, it's amazing what you can learn from educators and how to fix a very broken system known as medicine. So mm-hmm. I, I really enjoyed learning from what the both of you said. And it really isn't um, one or the other. It's always going to be an and or. So mm-hmm. it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. To both of my guests for being here today and spending some time with me, I know we're we're in the beginning um, of the summer and people's activities are picking up and um, we're being a little um, more lax with our movements um, inside of this pandemic that we're still uh, that's still among us. Uh, so I know people are busy, and so I greatly appreciate it. And um, I will let you guys know when this episode airs so you can all listen to it. And I want to say thank you to my guests for once again tuning in. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and I look forward to your feedback. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that episode and don't forget to tell your friends. And remember, you can always find me online at anchor.fm slash the blue diamond. You can also find me on the Anchor app, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, and Spotify. Until next time, this is Adre signing off.